Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today and I have got a great friend with me who is going to be sharing some amazing insights. This is a guy called Josh Connolly who has been someone I came across in the past couple of years who is one of the UK's most influential mental health advocates and he's spoken on things like BBC, ITV, Channel 5 News. He's even spoken in the House of Commons, contributed to mental health policy and even advised the script writing team on Hollyoaks with some of the uh, some of the storylines they were doing and we'll hear more about that as well. He runs. He's run resilience workshops for village schools and global brands, and he's also an ambassador for Nakoa, which is a national charity supporting people affected by parents' drinking. Josh, mate, it's so good to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation for sure. And uh, you know, I sort of never really know quite how I'm supposed to be when somebody reads out the the, the bio at the beginning. You know, what yeah. sort of face are you supposed to pull? I always feel slightly awkward. So I know what but you mean, good mate. To be here, mate. It's uh, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's it's that thing, isn't it? Because you're you're not in this about. It's not about you. It's about mm. the stuff that you do. It's about the message. I remember once uh, trying to kind of reconcile those things in the past, where I didn't want to be the centre of attention, but at the same time, I wanted to broadcast a certain message and really get that through to people but without it being about me and I remember it was a guy called Daniel Priestley who I don't know whether you've come across he's a business author written a couple of awesome books and he said rather than being in the spotlight act as if you are the spotlight you're the one that is shining on something else you're shining on the message so that way it kind of helped me reconcile that um, that ego with actually making a difference and so it's the same yeah. thing with those bio things i'm always like oh it's not about me yeah exactly yeah and what you said yeah i really like that kind of uh that statement of you know being the spotlight as opposed to being in it and you know is that thing with the bio somebody else wrote that bio the guy that helped me with my website and the, my branding stuff and um I even find myself whenever I send it to somebody saying I've just pulled that off my off my website and that's yeah. me going I didn't write that about myself by the way yeah you said that to me when you sent it did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like literally I say it to I must say it to everyone I send because there's a there's an awkwardness that comes with with that for me yeah it's an interesting one that because at the same time some of those things in that list are tremendous achievements in the the, the tremendous achievements that you've done as part of this mission that you're on and Mm. so it's not about you know you being hey look at me I've been on the news and I've been in the house of commons and I've helped Hollyoaks with their you know plot lines and stuff like that it's it's a part of you putting your message in front of more people and helping Mm. more people and so I think that 
I don't know. It's we've we've got to take it's it's it may be ego. It may sound like it's ego saying those things, but in in actual fact, I think it might be ego that makes us feel uncomfortable about those things because definitely when I read it out, it's not I wasn't reading it out to big you up. I was reading it out because of it's it's uh, it's a it's a tremendous mission that you're on, and so yeah. I think that our ego works in kind of both sides doesn't it it works in a positive way and a negative way or rather it works in a kind of big you up but also tear you down kind of way oh 100 100 and like you know there's a lot of work to be done around kind of understanding your value so like i i, I do recognize my value today and i'm sort of able to I, i'm sort of comfortable in myself with it but that the ego always brings that awkwardness when somebody else is reading it out, right? Of how do I look? What do I do? Do I sort of nod my head and be thankful that you're sharing it? Or do I look slightly awkward and show that, you know, and that's all that kind of shadow work stuff, that, that part of me that's showing up in myself and, you know, drives that awkwardness that comes with it. So, and I, I just think that being aware of it and kind of, uh, uh, sharing it and being open to talking about it in a sort of non-judgmental way is quite a big thing and quite a vital thing and something that you know I, I, I certainly try to do within the mission and, and the work that I do. I think that humans, by their very nature, unless you're, and unless you're one of the very few people that I guess has the exact match of confidence and ability. You either fall on one one kind of side of that um, of that curve. There's very few people who are who have a level of confidence that exactly matches their ability in something, mm. right? And yeah. often you'll have people who have more confidence than they have ability, and that's kind of that that arrogance level where you think you're actually better at something than you really are, and you don't have you're not able to back that up. But I think the vast majority of people are probably on the other side where they're actually pretty good at something but have less confidence in it than they have ability. And I think that that's something which I I don't know whether it's more common in the UK as well because of this kind of forced humility. Now, I'm a big fan of humility. I think humility is a great thing. I think we do need to stay humble and I think we do need to stay grounded a lot of the time because we can often get ahead of ourselves in terms of uh, you know these kind of flights of fancy and these the things that we see on tv and films and stuff which aren't necessarily attainable in real life so mm. i think it's good to stay humble and it's good to stay grounded but at the same time i feel that that brits are that it's almost like even just being confident in your own ability is arrogant when it's not, it's just... <laughs> it, no, it is, it, it is. and I, I think when you look at sports, when you look in the sporting world and you look at, like, I know certainly when, when you look at football, uh, you know, a sport that I'm a huge fan of, somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. would have had most of what makes him great kind of metaphorically beaten out of him as he grew up in England because yes. the flicks and the tricks that he's become incredible at doing that make him one of the best players ever to kind of walk the planet in England growing up he would have had them don't show off don't yep. do that it's and we almost you know we metaphorically beat that out of people because we're we're very uncomfortable with 
expressing our value, right? And being confident, recognizing my value and being able to communicate that value um, can coexist with humility. Yeah. You know, and we don't recognize that. And I, and I think, you know, the more sort of humility that I've gained in my life, you know, throughout, throughout the years helps me to be more comfortable with my value because I know if I say to you that I think I'm good at this, I'm saying it because I think I recognize that I'm good at it, not because I'm trying to make you uh, portray me in a certain way. Yeah. And there's a, there's a huge difference in that. And oh, I think, without a doubt. Yeah, we don't recognize that difference and that's half of our problem, I think. Yeah, it's, it, humility, humility is, is understanding your actual limitations not creating new ones humility mm. is kind of knowing that you're not incredible at everything and nobody is and that's okay mm. it's not telling yourself you're rubbish at things you're actually good at that's not humility that's that's mm. ego it's it's ego doing that kind of downfall side of things where it where it's telling you you're worse than you actually are I think mm. I I remember seeing something about ego where I started understanding that ego isn't just about arrogance in a kind of thinking you're better than you are way. But I remember hearing something which described it as inflated, overinflated self-importance. And the idea that your self-importance can be in both thinking that, you know, everything that's great in your life is because uh, you've created that. That's kind of arrogance in the sense that you believe that you're more important um, than you actually are in, in terms of good things happening. But also, if you think that everything bad in your life is because you've caused it, then that's ego as well, because it's you thinking that you're actually more important in that in that particular you know frame of reference than you actually are. And in reality, there's a huge amount of other people's actions and a huge amount of just sheer chance that has mm. that has played a part in whatever it is that you're telling yourself is your fault yeah and i think when we when we break the ego down to being one single thing so that so if we follow the line that we have ourselves and then we have our ego selves and that ego self only represents one part of ourselves i actually think that's too simplistic anyway yeah there's a guy called uh, richard schwartz who talks about internal family systems he believes we have up to eight parts of ourselves and i think the deeper i've dived into who i am um the more i realize there's different parts of myself all of which, by the way, all of which show up for good reason and are actually trying to protect me. So, you know, even what we would call the ego in itself exists because it's trying to protect us, right? Yeah. When it tells us we're not great, it's telling us that because it's fearful and worried that we're not good enough to do something. But on the, on the flip side, when it tells us we're amazing at things, again, it's trying to protect us. So... I think when you understand that on a deeper level, for me, it actually goes, it goes even beyond the kind of two parts of self and ego becomes, you know, seven or eight different versions or different parts of ourselves um, existing all, all at once. And I think the more I've dived into myself again, you know, I say again, the more I've dived into myself, the more I've recognized that in myself too. I think that we do, we've... As humans, we've got a limited understanding of what's going on in the world and we have to create maps and 
kind of systems and plans for the stuff that we see and the stuff that we experience. And whether we have a simplistic view of this is ego and this is, you know, like you said, those kind of very linear ones, or you have a slightly wider one where there's like eight different um, parts. In reality, all of those things are just maps. They're not, they're not the kind of the real world. They're just us trying to understand what's going on because, Mm. you know, the, the human brain's, pretty much the most complex thing that we've ever tried to study we still don't really have yeah. a good grasp on it i've been talking to um a number of neuroscientists recently and i've been doing a bit of reading around neuroscience that's kind of my current uh, kind of interest point and it's fascinating when you start reading about this area of science and you start talking to people about this area of science because even the people who are the absolute top of their field in this stuff will quite openly admit that there's way more that we don't understand than we do and Mm. even if you only take into consideration the complexity in terms of cells so the the average adult human brain has about 100 billion cells and the synapses that each brain cell can use to connect to other cells can number in the tens of thousands per cell and you just think Mm. this is already so much more complex than than we can ever hope to understand with our current worldview and with our current systems of study there's it, it's a it's an area of study which is you know it's advancing forward in in great leaps and we are understanding more and more about the brain and how it works in terms of psychology than we ever have before but then in terms of the actual mechanics of it and the neuroscience of it it's astounding and so when we talk mm. about there being eight different things, for example, even in a kind of more complex model like that, eight different kind of sides to you, in reality, it's that even that is a gross oversimplification, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. And I mean, when you start to get into the depths of kind of human existence in the way in which we're doing then, right, it's not just the brain. When you start to look at the way we exist within the universe, within space and all of that stuff, right, yeah. we're just bits of dust right so the fact that we're trying to make sense of essentially what is such a tiny it's like taking a massive puzzle and then just studying one piece as to why it why it exists in in itself uh free from the rest of the jigsaw it makes no sense anyway so we, we <laughs> i guess in a way when we talk about ourselves and who we are as people we're actually trying to make sense of nonsense in and of itself anyway yeah right yeah so, uh, i mean that's hurting my brain even <laughs> just kind of it's 11 it. it's 11 27 a.m for those people <laughs> listening to this for those people listening to this podcast who assume that this is about two o'clock in the morning after a few bottles of red wine uh for me at least i know not for you um it's like this is not the existential conversation of uh, uh, after a night out. This is an existential conversation at eleven twenty-seven on a Wednesday morning. This is how me and Josh roll. This is what happens. We have got we have not even touched on what I had, uh, you know, planned to ask him about, and yet I think we're, we're still here. on the intro, are we? We're, we're still, still in the intro. Yeah, we're, we're talking about your response to me introducing you. That's all it is. We're overanalyzing things, Josh. I think. Ugh, shock. shock yeah horror. who would have thought it eh? who would have thought it but it's it's all relevant because the thing that i really wanted to kind of chat with you about hey we're only 15 minutes in we're 15 minutes in and i'm finally getting a question in 
Um, it's I've got this philosophy around fitness, which I know that you've got a kind of idea of already. But for those people who are perhaps listening to this and they haven't come across my structure of uh, how I approach fitness before, I'm just going to give a, a brief overview. Now, I talk about mental and physical fitness. I look at it from a kind of uh, holistic perspective whereby everything is intertwined, right? So it's again, it relates back to what we were just chatting about. It's it's way more complex than, than um, you know, any kind of basic system can do justice to. the. Uh, it, but we, we need these systems in order to kind of um, make sense of things, right? So I like to look at fitness as a whole person thing, mental and physical. And within that, there are five um, there are, there are five pillars of kind of different behaviors which can work towards good overall all-round fitness things like movement nourishment recovery uh, stimulation like mental stimulation and connection and then within the types of fitness within your mental fitness and within your physical fitness in the same way that in physical fitness there are different components like your cardiovascular fitness your strength your balance your coordination and all of these kind of physical aspects to fitness there are also aspects and components to mental fitness and one of those components to mental fitness is emotional fitness so I talk about emotional fitness being to do with things like self-esteem and your ability to manage strong emotions, not control them. I don't like the word control when talking about emotion. I used to use it a lot, but now I understand it more about management. So managing strong emotions and also resilience, which I know is a big part of what you do, what you teach, the the workshops that you do in kind of corporate settings and stuff like that. So I'd really love to hear how you define what resilience actually is when we're talking about it from an emotional perspective well actually to kind of you know uh, further build on the way that you've described what you've described there i think when we look at emotional resilience we have to kind of have the same attitude as we would with our physical kind of resilience right in terms of if we're running a marathon we can't just sprint and keep going at the beginning right because we'll break down and we'll never get there so emotionally when when we're looking at our emotional resilience we have to fully understand firstly that we experience a range of emotions right um we we shouldn't always be pitching to try and feel what we think we want to feel we have to feel what we're experiencing the same way uh as within any kind of sport physically we need to listen to our bodies as much as we can you know mentally and emotionally it's very similar so at its core it becomes understanding exactly what i'm feeling and making sure i get what i need as a result of what i'm feeling and so you know again let's look at what we talk about physically rest becomes a, a huge importance to our physical well-being it's very true emotionally as well if we're kind of at that tipping point Uh, to be resilient is not to just keep going because we're going to reach that burnout breakdown stage right so we need to know when we need to rest we need to know uh, when we need to kind of dive further into an emotion and understand what it is you know the same way as if physically a muscle was playing up you might need to really hone in on that muscle get it checked out look at what's wrong with it emotionally we need to do the same the problem arises in a society that tells us the optimum emotional state is to sort of feel positive all of the time right yeah which is unobtainable right it's unobtainable um for me what we need to do is understand that we should feel a range of emotions and know that that's okay like we 
you know, we call certain emotions negative, but actually they're not negative. They're just, they're, they're just difficult. If I'm at a funeral, being sad is not a negative emotion. It's the right emotion, yeah. the needed emotion. And then to release sadness, often we need to cry. Yet, if you walk out of a funeral with a dry eye, people will often congratulate you. Well done, you held it together in there. You know, you did well. When actually, a funeral, you should be crying your eyes out and releasing certain emotions, right? If that's what you're feeling in the moment. Uh, of course, there's nuance there as well. If it's the funeral of somebody that's lived a long, healthy, prosperous life, then it may be that it's more of a celebration. But you kind of understand what I'm getting at here yeah. in terms of leaning into what we're actually feeling and, and having the tools and resources in our life to be able to move through those emotions. So I was, I was writing something in a much more, I guess, succinct way uh, recently only only more succinct because i had a character limit um but it was it wasn't put quite as um quite as beautifully as you put it there which i really i, I mean i agree 100% and i have been a i've been sucked into the positive kind of positive psychology positive mindset stuff in the past and i believe that looking back it did not do me any good and the kind of philosophy I was espousing at the time was not beneficial for a lot of people but I'd been sucked into this kind of this this idea of positivity and I've seen you term it toxic positivity in some of your posts mm -hmm. and I've seen other people kind of using the same term um, and it's so I was writing I was writing this post um, I think I haven't don't think I've posted it yet I think the first line was positive emotions can fuck off. I think that was the first line. And because I do <laughs> love start. I do love an engaging first line. I do want people to click see more. Um <laughs> but it was yes, it's a bit harsh maybe to say that about positive emotions. I mean positive emotions are, are, are great, right? Feeling happy, feeling joyful, feeling in love, feeling all of these things are, are great feelings. So really, you know, they've got they've got their place. But they're put on a pedestal. They're put on a pedestal as being these are the emotions you want more of and these are the emotions you want less of. The positive, negative, black and white, binary outlook, which is the absolute bane of existence in every walk of life. It's, mm. it's, they're kind of, you're either with me or against me, um, kind of left versus right we're not getting into politics um but it's that kind of thing again that thinking where it is too oversimplified and yes we need a map of the terrain which is not going to be the terrain but the map needs the the, the more oversimplified that map is the more we're going to get lost and if that map is simplified to just this is land this is water and it doesn't actually tell you anything else on the map then it's not a very useful map right mm. And the this this post was about again the benefits of what are traditionally considered negative emotions. You talk about sadness, and you talk about kind of being at a funeral and feeling sad because you've lost someone. Processing that grief, of course, that is a necessary and useful emotion. And I was reading an interesting article in um, I think it was Psychology Today or something like that. And they were talking about how sadness is a big prompt for generosity. 
because people who feel sad feel like they want to be more giving because they mm -hmm. feel sad about something happening. So it drives mm -hmm. a positive behaviour or what could be considered a positive behaviour if you want to be that binary again. And anger is one which is so commonly lumped in as negative. It's so commonly said you don't want to be angry. Now, for me, it's about how you process those emotions. There, of course, there are times where anger is going to be a damaging emotion in certain circumstances, but the circumstances are key. And that's where the nuance is, is that in certain circumstances, anger is massively constructive. Yeah. And look, I would, I would kind of challenge one thing that you said in there, which is that sometimes anger can be sometimes you don't want to be angry, right? If, if you're feeling anger, then I think your body's trying to tell you something and there's a reason for it, right? Yeah. What, we, what we do with the anger becomes the problem. Yes. Because when you think of anger, what you conjure up is somebody being angry and uh, uh, being violent. But actually, when you look at some of the biggest, most important moments within Western society's history, they're driven by angry people. Martin Luther King was angry. Uh, the suffragettes were angry. Okay, uh, more recently, Black Lives Matter movement was driven by people that were angry. But they took their anger and they did something useful with it. So yeah. anger's useful. And it's the same as um, even when we say happiness, joyfulness, excitedness, whatever, you know, these, we, we even label these as all positive emotions. They're positive if that's how you're feeling, but they're, they're hugely negative if what you need to process is, is sadness. Because then, then, then feeling joyful is not positive. It's just a lie. Yeah. It's, just, it's just falseness, right? It's just escapism. So the, the, the nuance comes in actually, and look, let's bring it back to the, the kind of really deep moment that we had yeah, at let's. the beginning when we, when, when we were talking about the brain, right? When you look at um, the brain and any kind of biology stuff like this, and I know you've, you know your biology, right? Yeah. Um, none of it happens really by accident. No. So, so if we think that our brain is making us feel a certain way by accident, then I think we need to look a bit deeper. And actually what you, that helps you then to understand that we can trace all feelings back to um, a positive drive. The feeling is there because the body wants us to do something, yeah. right? And it, you know, even anxiety, my anxiety that still shows up in my life today, nearly always shows up in my life today because my brain's going, whoop, something's triggered here. Let's make Josh anxious. He needs to be anxious in this moment. It was great when I was younger, but actually it doesn't serve me in, in my adult life anymore. But what I can do is trace it back to being there for a positive reason initially. So, right. yeah, no, absolutely. And I talk a lot about how we've evolved in terms of when I'm talking to people about their behaviours, their routines, um, mm. and from a perspective of trying to change things to get the desired results, right? Because that's the essentially the business I've been in for the past near decade of working in the fitness industry is helping people. People have got a goal and I help them move towards the goal. Now, the goal, the goals that people, I mean, this is this is a whole other conversation, whether the goals that people have are really the goals they have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when, when people are trying to change behaviours to get different outcomes, that's essentially what I'm doing when I'm coaching. And 
it's what any coach does, whether it's in fitness or whether it's in other areas of life, whether it's a business coach, whatever. It's about helping people find ways to behave differently in order to achieve a desired outcome. And when I talk about how to change these behaviours, evolution comes up a lot. And it's because, like you said, I know my biology and I'm passionate about it. That's what you know. I used to do. I was a biology teacher prior to working in the fitness industry. And my area of particular interest was ecology, evolution, stuff like that. And evolution is fascinating because it does exactly what you've been talking about in terms of there being a a driver. There is something which is, we've evolved in a certain way. We've evolved to behave in a certain way. Our brains have evolved to function in a certain way that prolongs our life and allows us to procreate and pass on our genetic information that's literally we're by no means the pinnacle of evolution because that doesn't that doesn't exist that's not how evolution works there isn't a final level and so Mm. yes there are plenty of things about human beings that are inefficient and kind of a bit wired a bit funny and stuff goes Mm. wrong and all of this stuff we are we are not perfect by any stretch physically mentally emotionally we are hugely flawed so anyone listening to this who feels that they're flawed that's fine we all are but we have evolved certain things to keep us alive and the um, the amount of time that people people aren't aware or it's very hard for the human brain to process consciously the sheer vastness of the amount of time that it took to get to physically and neurally where we are now and then the environment we find ourselves in has evolved way way faster in the past you know 10,000 years in terms of things like agriculture Mm. civilization the last 10,000 years has been insanely fast in terms of our environment changing and we haven't changed all that much right The last 1,000 years, the last 500 years, the last 200 years, the last 20 years, the speed at which our environment is changing is... The the speed at which it's changing is increasing. It's, It's happening exponentially faster all the time. And yet we are still the same kind of beings that evolved on the plains of Africa when we came down out of the trees, out onto the plains, and we developed the ability to walk on two legs, to run. The the physical evolution of us as hunters and gatherers is tremendous to learn about. But some of the things which now cause us issues in the environment we're in are evolutionary uh, responses to our to our mm. previous environment and one that i talk about a lot is laziness people often talk about laziness people often talk about they want to get a certain result in terms of their their fitness or it might be that they want to get a certain result in terms of their business or their relationships or whatever but they can't seem to motivate themselves to do the things that they know they need to do and mm. they feel like they're, they're constantly told it's because they're lazy or they don't want it bad enough but laziness is an evolutionary, uh, it had a function, right? It's a, it's a result of us wanting to conserve energy. We didn't want to expend energy that could be used for hunting and procreation, basically. That was the things mm. that we needed to do. Hunt, gather food, um, pass on our genetics to the next generation and prolong our species. That was all that we really had to do. And so 
because we were in an environment where food was scarce, we didn't want to use up those very valuable calories larking about doing stuff that wasn't actually that necessary. And so now when we're in an abundance of food and we've got, you know, we don't have to conserve energy in the same way, trying to force yourself to do things which go against that primal nature of, oh, now I rest. It's, mm. it's, it's really hard. And there are ways when you start getting into it, there are ways that you can harness that path of least resistance thinking and that, that automatic uh, behaviour that's in that real primitive part of our brain, right at the kind of the base of the brain at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the spinal cord, which deals with kind of most, our, our most um, primitive needs and desires versus our prefrontal cortex, which does all our problem solving. That rather than them fighting each other saying, well, I need to go work out and the back of your brain's going, now you just need to lie down and slob on the sofa yeah. and eat all the food that's in the house. Rather than fighting those things, once you understand these things, a bit like with the emotions, once we understand our emotions, we can, we can really use it to our advantage rather than fighting them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, so much of the work that I do is based on like find the what find why that exists understand it and then you're going to be able to change it and what we t you know what a, a lot of what happens actually what i think a lot of people do and they make the mistake of doing is living up in that rational part of the brain and and completely trying to ignore the rest of it and just yep. trying to rationalize everything and people do that a lot with feelings they shut themselves off from the feeling part of their brain and live in the rational part of their brain and and uh when you shut yourself off from your feelings, then, you know, you shut yourself off from all of your feelings and, uh, you know, learning to kind of open the door and lean back into the feelings part, it becomes, you know, of huge importance in some of the work that I do with people as well. Do you feel, do you find that people are kind of either in one or the other of those camps? Cause I've come across people who are, I, I t totally agree with people living too much in the kind of rational part of their brain. And I know that that's where I, struggled a lot was that that's where I spent most of my time I've always been very rational and kind of logical and so at the same time when I've been struggling with uh, my emotional state whether it's you know I've struggled with depression quite severely in the past but even on a more everyday level rather than it from a kind of clinical perspective just dealing with the ups and downs of you know of life right because mm -hmm. you've got this entire this this whole spectrum of emotions to deal with and because i couldn't rationalize it i struggled and the reason i kind of got on with science and maths and stuff like that at school is because the 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 prefrontal cortex is where i like to hang out i liked logic mm -hmm. i liked stuff like that um where i struggled with things like re and english literature and stuff like that because i it was more about um how we assessed what the author was trying to uh, convey from an emotional perspective i was i couldn't deal with that kind of stuff because it was it was seemed a bit too uh too vague for me and so it was a big mm. big deal for me kind of sitting back into the the emotional part of my brain and understanding it a lot more but do you find that there are people who it's perhaps the other way around where they're spending so much time in the, the emotional part of their brain that, and 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 not rationalising anything, that they can't see the wood from the for the trees in that in that context as well. To a degree, yes, but I think when people have when people feel like they're spending too much of their time in their emotional part of their brain, it's normally driven by emotional avoidance. Now I know that sounds completely contradictory, but uh, I think that's true because. 
what happens is, is we don't find a way to process and release our emotions so we get stuck in them and we spend our life actually trying to rationalize at a very surface level because we don't want to go too near the the energy that comes with the actual feeling of the emotion so people live sort of on that cliff edge and they feel like they're trapped in the emotion because they are trapped in the emotion but the reason they're trapped in it is because they stay teetering around the edge and never allow themselves to move into it you look at the language that we use you know if you have a good cry uh, we call that falling apart when actually the act of crying is the very moment that we bring ourselves back together and so what we do is we try to avoid falling apart and then we just get trapped in this cycle of feeling a little bit of our emotions and then trying to rationalize getting busy trying to avoid it and it's always there we're just sort of on this boiling point we live our lives on this boiling point trying to rationalize why we're there i'm here because my life's like this at the moment i'm there because this is how i feel because this is going on we've actually without ever stopping and going hang on a minute what am i feeling what does this mean and let me lean into it so the people that are trapped in their emotions i believe are trapped in their emotions because they won't move into their emotions right i hope that makes sense but. no it does it does it does that's got me thinking about it slightly differently i like that but no i think it's i think it's absolutely right and i think it's once we can kind of and again by by no means am i a kind of expert on this and i still struggle massively in in terms of on a daily basis with um learning about myself and i'm, I'm never going to be a finished article and it's kind of why i wanted to chat to you is because I know that you get that and I know that you're kind of from an emotional perspective you've got um, some insights which have really helped me over the past couple of years and I know that you've kind of got that like you're further down the line you're by no means a finished article either right and but you're no you've got no because you've been doing this work for a while not just with other people in coaching but with yourself as well that you've got this wealth of knowledge from your own experience that you can articulate which has yeah sometimes it's not going to help people but oftentimes these are the things where, that you might say something in a certain way articulated in the way that you do which is going to help people take that next step which is which is going to get them maybe into a place where they they can start working on their emotional fitness and their resilience in a way that perhaps they haven't before. So with that in mind, with what you were just talking about um, in terms of someone who is struggling to deal with perhaps their current emotional state or something that they're going through at the moment, where would you suggest, and I know this is very personal, so I know it's a it's kind of being um, almost glib and asking for a kind of where should they start kind of question because it is going to depend from person to person but is there something which you have found to be a particularly useful step to take when someone wants to become more in touch with their emotions and learn more about how they're feeling and 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 how to sit with it as you said the, the, look, the, the, the best advice I could give and like you say there's no clear advice really but it's to find a, 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 a tribe of people that make you feel psychologically safe in a way that helps you to start to explore some of that original pain uh, so I think you need to be able to speak to somebody who's not going to try and fix or change you but actually is going to let you begin to process so when I started talking about the ways that I felt 
I was saying a hell of a lot of different stuff about the ways that I felt to what I'm saying now because I explore, you know, you talked earlier, I really liked what you said about the, a map's no good if it just tells me where land or water is, right? And so to start to create that map, I need to walk down a load of paths that take me to nowhere, but that they, that they map out the wrong way and they map out some of the stuff that doesn't work for me, right? Yeah. So that I know that's not the route and then I can come back. And so I need to be able to continually out myself. I was wrong when I said this. I don't believe that anymore. This is now what I believe. And I change my mind and my opinion all of the time, right? And I think that's one of my strengths in resilience is having the humility to do that. I think that's that's vitally important because as a scientist, um, and I still consider my, myself a scientist, although I'm not necessarily working in a science uh, or, or research-based job i still consider myself a scientist because the essence of the, the essence of science is exactly what you've just said it's about a, it's about a path of learning and discovery and changing your viewpoint with what the evidence suggests and so when you start learning about yourself it's a very scientific process because you're going oh hey this is something i didn't know before and therefore my uh, my viewpoint is going to have to change as a result of that new information and it's, mm. it, rather than being stuck in our ways and becoming overly attached to perhaps what has been our identity for a very long time. And I know that's difficult for people to do because your identity is something that you get very attached to. And if, you're ident if you identify as someone who is, um, you know, for example, an, a, a very angry person and you've always been an angry person then letting go of that or learning about it and kind of freeing yourself up from it is is quite a scary thing to do even if it's something that you want to do because it's been when it's it's easier i think or more comfortable to know who you are even if you're not entirely in love with who you are it's easier to mm. know who you are than it is to let go of that and admit that actually you don't know <laughs> i think that's that's well, a difficult exactly. thing to do Exactly. And, you know, the greatest lie ever told is this is just the way that I am. And yeah. we tell ourselves that all of the time because then we can continue to over-identify with certain feelings. You know, we can say, I'm just an angry person, which is not true. We might experience anger more often than, than other people, but there's likely a reason for that. And, you know, what you said on the kind of scientific side of it, right, is, is, is so true. A good scientist creates a hypothesis and then tries to prove themselves wrong yeah. not, not prove yeah. themselves right okay yeah. and so what happened what tends to happen is we get caught up in confirmation bias so yes. I, I set out something in my mind and then i set about trying to make that right when yeah. actually what i need to do is set out and make myself wrong otherwise i'm not you know i'm not a good scientist in, in that respect yeah the confirmation bias thing is is so important to understand because so often we'll have a certain opinion on something and we'll seek out the evidence that supports that to make us feel confident where in reality it could be the one piece of information which supports it in a sea of hundreds of pieces of information which don't support it or support the opposite which we will ignore because we want to be proven right um there was something mm. that you said a minute ago about going down the paths and stuff and i'm just aware of time as well because i know you're going to have to head off and i I know, yeah, it's, it's mad how quickly that's gone, by the way. I know. I it's not even started. There you go. Still doing the intro, mate. Um, but obviously, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll have you, uh, I'd love to have you back on at some point um, again yeah. for another episode because you know you know what we're like. We could talk for hours. But um, 
yeah, the, when you talk about going down the paths and being willing to get lost and go to the dead ends, because we're talking about maps and the cartographers of old did not have satellite imagery to plan their maps with. They didn't have mm. a aerial view of the terrain. What they had was going down the wrong paths and then drawing a map from that. Here's the water. Mm. This is the shape of the bay that I'm at at the moment. There's woods here. There's a village here. That's how they built those maps, which they then used to find their way around that particular mm -hmm. landscape. And that's what we're like in terms of our emotions. We don't have that 10,000 foot view. We don't have the satellite imagery of what's going on. The best we have is to walk down those roads and make those mistakes and find those dead ends and get our feet wet when we cross the rivers and mm. and then build our own map of our own experiences. Yeah, exactly. And then understand that we misread the map. Yeah. And, we'll yeah. Go, and we'll go down those paths again and think, how have yeah. I got myself here? But right? You, you lose but the last, map. You leave, they exactly. leave the map at home. <laughs> exactly. But then you start going, well, last time I was here, I got this lost. Yeah. I went that way. And yep. you go, okay, well, let me just go that way. Yeah. And then you get yourself back on the path again. And, you know, I think it's a really good analogy. And, you know, it, 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 emotions are messy, you know. When we start talking, we get deep into the conversation about emotions. It's not it's not pretty you know you can't package it and wrap it up nicely it's messy it's tangled up and there's you know it's endless it's endless the map is is as you know it's as big as you want it to be absolutely josh it has been so good having you on and having this conversation yeah, i will we've got to do it again genuinely yeah. we've got to do it again i feel like we could have done we could have done a joe rogan style mate, yeah three hours, hours yeah. 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 <laughs> absolutely mate um Thank you once again, buddy. Uh, and I, I hope that everyone's had um, had some good value from this who's listening. And what I'll do as well is I'll, I'll put your links to your socials and stuff in the description for the podcast so people can find you. Sound good? Brilliant. Love it. Awesome stuff, mate. Have a great day and I'll chat to you again soon, mate. You too, mate. Take care. Thank you for listening to Fit Body, Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.